You are listening to the One Church TO podcast. We are an imperfect community who are attempting to help people know God, love people, and make an impact in our city of Toronto, Canada. At the time of this podcast episode, we are currently experiencing the COVID-19 worldwide pandemic. So you'll start to notice in this same feed, we'll be providing some extra episodes alongside our weekend teaching to encourage you throughout the week. But we hope today's teaching is valuable for whatever season or situation that you find yourself in. I'm glad you joined us today. And we've noticed over the last number of weeks, there has been a lot of people in this COVID season that have joined our live stream and uh, kind of become a part of our community digitally. And that made me think that maybe some of us have not been in a physical gathering with the rest of the One Church TO family. So let me explain a little bit of who we are. We're a community of followers of Jesus with over 75 nationalities and five generations. And I think you can appreciate the fact that that's a lot of diversity and it requires a lot of grace and love to make this community work. Now, despite our differences, we have an incredible amount of similarities. Everyone that attends One Church TO has between four to five liters of blood going through their body. They're all humans. (laughs) That means we have some really common experiences. We all need sleep. We all need food. We all need shelter. We all require a purpose in life. We require love and respect and dignity. It also means that uh, everyone that's part of this church family, because we are all human, we've all been bruised in this life. We're all a little broken. We're very imperfect people. Uh, And that sense that there's some connectivity around our brokenness and our humanity provides some commonality. So we have some things in common focused around our brokenness and even our humanity. And you notice this in life, that when people are broken, broken people find broken people, right? Uh, If you're sick with someone and you find someone who else has the same illness as you, there seems to be a connection that instantly happens around brokenness. But it's not sustainable, and I'll tell you why in a moment. And even our commonality in humanity, it's the reason why when we see something, the human experience we all feel, we can watch a video of someone being hurt badly, and we can feel empathy for them, but it may not motivate us to come to their rescue, actually. Because brokenness and humanity, although they form an element of commonality, They can't unite us. We need something much stronger than that. I like to think of it as like a crazy glue to keep a community like One Church CEO together. And we need Jesus because only Jesus is strong enough to unite us and heal us. And by unite us, I mean this, that when we become followers of Jesus, you and I are adopted into this family. And now, no respecters of person, there's an equality in this family. We are brothers and sisters. We journey together in this life. We are now belong to something we didn't belong to previously. We're family. And not just united, but he heals us. Don't you love this about Jesus? He takes us as we are, but he never leaves us as we were. He's always healing and restoring. And this is why at One Church CO, we take so seriously the pursuit of Jesus. That's why we sing about him. We just sang it a few minutes ago, why we do Alpha. It's why that mission to help people know God, love people, and impact this city is so important to us uh, because this is the pursuit of Jesus. And that's why something like this becomes something we, we do everything in and through. This is, this is the Bible. It's, it's not a book. It's a collection of 66 books. 
And we filter all of our decisions as a church and a faith community through the lens of the Gospels and Jesus and through the pages of God's story in Scripture. Now, this is my study Bible. I go here personally to learn about Jesus and hear from Jesus, but uh, you know, it's seen some better days, as you can see. You don't often get to see this Bible, actually. I don't usually pull it out in our physical gatherings. I, I don't think I ever have in our digital gatherings uh, because it's not a prop. This is not a prop. <laughs> it can't transform you by holding it in your hand. Uh, some people treat their relationship with God's Word a little differently. Some people think if you just have one in the, in the house, it'll ward off evil spirits or something like that. Uh, or that somehow if you hold it, it will somehow, through osmosis, change you. But the Bible can't change you. It's just paper and leather. The Bible says of itself, really, that when it comes to the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of Scripture, it's only when it gets inside of you does it transform you. So it's not for photo ops. It's, 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 not, it's not a prop. It is uh, has the power to renew us, change us, correct us, encourage us, transform it as its truth gets applied to our lives and we live it out. So we're going into a brand new series called Storytime, and we're unpacking the stories of Jesus. And today, I'd invite you to turn, if you want to, to Luke chapter 11, verses 14 to 23, or it's pages 90 to 92 in your Jesus Project book. And in preparation for this, our next-gen team and production team got together, and they did a little video that paraphrases the story that Jesus tells about a strong man. Watch your screens. Story time. Okay, so Jesus was doing his thing and healing this guy who was mute for years because of a demon. Of course, after Jesus prayed over the man, the man was healed and began to talk. People around saw what happened, but didn't believe that Jesus was powerful enough to do it. Anyways, Jesus was not having it. Here's what he said. When a strong man who is armed to the teeth stands guard in his front yard, his property is safe and sound. But what if a stronger man comes along with superior weapons? Then he's beaten at his own game. The arsenal that he held with such confidence is now hauled off and his possessions are plundered. This is war and there is no neutral ground. And if you are not on my side, you are the enemy. And if you're not helping, you're making things worse. Well, this is a powerful story. And what is Jesus doing here? Well, Jesus is doing what Jesus does. Jesus is dealing in the economy of freedom. There's a man who has experienced a slavery, an oppression from evil, and Jesus sets him free. This man has been silenced. He's mute, unable to speak. And Jesus frees him to be able to speak again. Maybe you know how that feels. Maybe it's not even a physical silencing Maybe, maybe literally you have felt silenced by uh, pain about, uh, through some sort of oppression, unable to speak. And Jesus always deals in the economy of freedom. And now in the story, and this is a real account, uh, some of the religious people around Jesus, they're not happy that Jesus set him free. Uh, in fact, they actually accuse him. They say, no wonder those demons obey you, Jesus, because maybe you're the captain of the team. Maybe you're in league with them. And in response, Jesus tells a story about two strong men. And the first strong man, it says this, that he had a palace. 
And a palace is a place where a ruler or authority or a power lives. It's their stronghold. It's their place where they keep all of the riches that they have accumulated by exercising their authority or power. So there's this strong man, he has this great palace. And it says, that it, Jesus says that he's well-armed and he's guarding the gate of the palace. Why? Because he has a lot to lose. He has a lot he's stored up to lose. And he has, it's in his vested interest to maintain the status quo. And Jesus says about this evil man, and he likens all of evil to be like this strong man. And this great fortress or palace that he's trying to protect what he's gathered under and by exercising his authority. And Jesus says, nothing will change with the status quo. Listen to this, until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons and carries off his belongings. Uh, okay, I'd, I'd like you to say three words with me out loud, no matter who you're with or where you're at. Nothing will change. Can you say that? Nothing will change. Are you saying that loudly? Nothing will change. Now, that is discouraging words if you know something needs to change. Nothing will change in our city with systemic injustices in this world, or nothing will change in your life. So let's add a fourth word, filled with hope, pregnant with potential. Fourth word, ready? So nothing will change until. Can you add that? Nothing will change until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him and disarms him. In Luke 11, the, at the root of this man's problem that Jesus sets free is evil. Evil is at work. And evil gives life to some of the things we're seeing in this world today. Evil gives life to racism, sexism, ableism, ageism. Evil gives life to hatred and violence in the porn industry and greed. And as a follower of Jesus, sometimes you might be tempted to just wonder out loud, Jesus, what, what are you doing here? Why don't you do something about the evil we see in this world? I love what Pastor Tim Keller says, a pastor from New York City, because he responds to that question. Jesus, what are you going to do about the evil that we're seeing and experiencing in this world? And here's a great response. He said, if God wiped out all the sources of evil in this world, we would no longer be here. The evil is inside us. Can you say that? The evil is inside us. Can you make it even more personal? The evil is inside me. Now, that's a tough pill to swallow. That's not easy even to say. But even if we're a follower of Jesus and we've been renewed and forgiven and graced by him, we have the patterns of this old world deeply ingrained in us. And that root of evil in you and in me, it allows us to hate. It allows us even to be indifferent about other people's struggles. That, that root of evil in your life and my life allows me to objectify women or objectify men. It allows us to manipulate situations for our own benefit. That root of evil in me can allow me to dismiss the voice of those that are older than me. Um, disrespectfully. That, that root of evil in me can allow me to disregard people with disabilities. 
It can allow me to whitewash history and pretend like the injustices in the past have not formed the present injustices we're experiencing. That root of evil in me can allow me to be angry and move it from a righteous anger to an unrighteous anger that produces a mass generalization about a people or a group or even hatred. So here's where we're going today. How do you confront the evil that's inside of you? And how do we confront the evil that's in our world? How do we do that in a way well, this past week, I had great conversations with a number of you from our church community as we talked about the injustices that people are experiencing and seeing in this world, not just recently, but have been. And Pastor Austin mentioned uh, an author, Dr. Eric Mason, and he wrote, wrote a, a book called Woke Church. I haven't read it, but he recommends it. I'm sure it's good. But he talked about four words of really how do we deal with the present situation we're in. And so I love these words, and I'm going to borrow them from Dr. Eric Mason. And the first one is, how do we deal with the evil inside of me and around me? It starts with awareness. It starts with awareness. See, why should it bother us when we see injustice in this world? Because it's attached to the gospel that you and I have experienced if you've experienced the righteousness of Jesus in your life and his justice, then it should bother us because here's what the Bible would teach, that every human being is made in the image of God. Every one of us that stamped inside of us is a God DNA in our very fabric and being. So every time injustice bothers you and you cry out for justice, all you're doing is getting in touch with your God side because God loves justice. God designed the world to be just. So everyone's made in his image. And at the core of the idea of justice in the Bible is that every human being is equal before God. Every human being. Now, we know this world is not fair, right? Because I wish I was born six foot five, six foot six. Well, maybe not born that way. I wish I was that tall now. But we don't all have an equal distribution of things or where we're born or how, what family we're born into. So fairness was broken when sin entered the human equation. But every human being, regardless of our standing, is equal before God. That means that we treat each other with a dignity and a respect that recognizes, hey, every human being I lock eyes with is made in the image of God. The problem is, early on in this book, you realize we have a defective gene, and it's sin. And that sin distorts the idea of how I can turn a blind eye. You know, in families or in societies, in situations, we can now turn a blind eye to injustices and even benefit from them because there's a selfishness inside of me, maybe inside of you. So in the Old Testament, God sets aside a group of people called the Israelites, and they're supposed to live a different ethic, a different ethic of righteousness and justice so all the other nations of the world, that they might, they might see who the true God is. So in Scripture, righteousness is, appears this way. Righteousness literally means to have a right relationship between people. Now, you've heard me speak in the past. Righteousness in Galatians in the New Testament talks about having a right standing with God that there's nothing between God and I. We got a clean slate between us. There's no, you know when you're in a relationship with something and there's something between you and it's a little awkward? Well, we wanna be in right standing with God. There's no, none of that between us. 
But the Bible always goes further than that. It says not just with God, but a right standing and relationship with other people matters. That's the type of righteousness we're to pursue. And then justice. In the Hebrew, justice is more than just punitive. It's also restorative justice. And this is where we advocate on behalf of those who've been marginalized or harmed in this life. And we not only advocate for them, we are actively changing social structures that might perpetuate injustice against them. This is, this is an active righteousness and justice. And in the Old Testament, the children of God or Israel were to embody those. Now, righteousness and justice, as we understand it as a follower of Jesus, is meant to produce in us a radical selflessness. Can you say those two words with me? Radical selflessness. Uh, too often, and you know it's true and I know it's true, we have a radical selfishness. But because we've received a righteousness we didn't deserve, because justice was paid for in a way that we didn't deserve or merit, it means now we are free to serve others with a radical selflessness. Can you imagine how many marriages, I don't care what marriage problem's going on in your life, if you as partners actually practice radical selflessness, you could heal that marriage. You could heal that family. We might even be able to heal a city. See, in the scripture, God's justice is on full display in his heart for righteousness. The prophet Jeremiah, brilliant verse, he kind of encapsulates the heart of God and the work that you and I are to be engaged in. He says this, this is God's message. Attend to matters of justice. Attend to matters of justice. Set things right, righteousness, right standing with God and others between people. Rescue victims from their exploiters. Don't take advantage of the homeless, the orphans, the widows. And how about this? Stop murdering. Stop murdering. So the sad part is, as you journey in this book, you realize that those very children of God, God had set them free from unrighteousness and injustice and slavery. And in turn, they, in short order, they began to do the very things God had set them free from to others. So the prophets show up and point the finger at Israel and said, hey, you're being unjust, you're being unrighteous, and points the finger right at them. Friends, we're a little bit like Israel, aren't we? We all participate in injustices, whether consciously or unconsciously, whether actively or passively, whether intentionally or unintentionally. The Bible is very clear. We are all guilty. Uh, that may bother some of you, and I, I get it, and I understand that. But awareness is the key for you to experience God's grace. The Bible would say this, we've all fallen short of God's glory. If you are not aware of that root of evil in your life, you can't fully experience the great gospel and the grace that Jesus has for our lives. But awareness is just the beginning. Awareness is the beginning point. The next point is acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. Uh, this coming Wednesday night, we're going to have a groups night here at One Church TO Live at 7 o'clock, and we're going to have people from our church community gathered together, and we're going to have a conversation about systemic racism and injustice. Um, I like to call these conversations brutal conversations. They're hard, but healthy families know how to have uncomfortable conversations. 
It's brutal for conversation in that it can be so beautiful. It will lead to freedom. It will help, but it's uncomfortable. And this is the beginning of many conversations we need to have as a community. Uh, but at, in this gathering, we're going to pray. Remember last week, I, I encouraged you to speak up and look up. We are not battling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, dark, evil powers. And so we need to pray. And we're going to spend time praying in this moment, Wednesday, 7 o'clock. And at the end of the gathering in the chat room, we're gonna, I'm going to encourage you to read up because we're going to give you some links to some YouTube videos and some readings so that you can educate yourself. So when you speak up, we can speak up from a place of knowledge. So awareness and acknowledgement is, per, is important. You know, it's important for me to say this. It may not be everybody that will identify with this, but if you can, you need to put yourself in my seat. It's important that I acknowledge that I have benefited from the oppression of other people. Here's what I mean. I mean, I've had hard moments in my life, and I'm sure you have too. I've woken up with challenges and difficulties that I faced. I had to overcome a learning disability. There's lots of things that have been barriers to me, but I've never woken up a day in Canada and my, the color of my skin has been a barrier for me to be able to move forward in this life. And I need to acknowledge that I have benefited from the oppression of others. It's like words like white privilege can be such a flashpoint for some people, but that's not a buzzword. It's an acknowledgement that I have benefited by systems that have systematically oppressed others. And I'll be honest with you, much of it unconsciously. I never went out to do that. I never intended to do that. It wasn't in my heart or my will, but it was something that I was a part of. And it's important to acknowledge that if we're going to be about righteousness and justice. Now, we're in a moment in time, a shift in nature, and I know you can see it. And there can be a part of us to say, well, at least we're not like the United States. And listen, if you're viewing from the, uh, uh, the United States, we love you. Uh, their history is different than ours. But you know I'm a student of history. I often pull it out from scripture, but I love Canadian history. I'm proud to be a Canadian. It's not a perfect nation, but it's a good nation. I hope most of you would agree. But historically, friends, we have oppressed First Nations people. Read your history of what has happened to people of color in Africville and Preston and some of the first Afro-Canadian communities in Canada and the East Coast. Uh, not right, to new immigrants and to women. So when I say things, and I did two years ago in a sermon, I spent a lot of time on this. When I say black lives matter, there can be something in us, if you're not from that community, you might say, well, doesn't every life matter? Well, well, of course every life matters, friends. But isn't it interesting in the Bible that God takes moments and he expresses deep love and devotion to the widow, the orphan, and the new immigrant. Why does he do that? Does he not love, uh, uh, and, and women are elevated in scripture and he expresses great love. Does he not love men? Of course he does. Doesn't he love families? Of course he does. But I liken it to this. If you were in my neighborhood and your house was burning down and the fire department came into my neighborhood and said, listen, every house matters. And so they begin to water down all the houses. I would be waving to them and say, well, okay, every house matters, but this house matters more because it's burning to the ground. When we say black lives matter, we're acknowledging 
Friends, something has been burning to the ground and it's not okay. Acknowledgement is one of the key pathways that we can be living a personal righteousness and justice and we can bring it to our city. So awareness, acknowledgement, and thirdly, accountability. Accountability. Now, why is this so important? Well, listen, if you've been a recipient, as I have, of Jesus' righteousness and his justice, and you know what? I didn't earn it at all. Then I'm accountable with what I do with the gift that God gave me. Look what Jesus says to those religious people in Luke 11 after he tells the story of the strong man. He says this, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. Strong words. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. And what Jesus says blows my mind here because he's saying this, that sometimes our passivity is a type of unrighteousness. That it's not so much that you and I can say, well, listen, I'm righteous. I'm in right standing with God and my neighbors, I'm, I'm getting along with my family members. I'm in right standing with them. So I have the personal righteousness. And Jesus is saying, no, if you're not working for righteousness though and working for on behalf of others, that there's an unrighteousness in our passivity in nature. In other words, as a church, we're kingdom bringers. We're to bring salt and life and hope and grace, not just to the people right around us, but to our city. And if we're going to do that, we need to recognize that his grace is there for us individually, but also corporately. Now, I've seen this, and I want to help you with this, because I've seen this in church world a lot. I've seen people pursue righteousness, and you can be tempted to do this right now in this moment in time. You could be tempted, tempted to pursue righteousness and justice in the streets, but not pursue it personally. And if you do, you will do the righteousness and justice in the street in an unrighteous manner. You'll do whatever means necessary to accomplish a goal that you think is necessary. On the other side of that, I've watched people do righteousness and justice personally really well, but never take it to the streets. And in turn, their righteousness and, and pursuit of justice personally becomes an unrighteous justice and righteousness. It's unrighteous. They become self-righteous, smug, arrogant even. Both pathways are not what God leads us to. We're accountable when we receive God's grace to give God's grace. And we are freed to serve others. You know, all of our differences as a one church, two one church TO community, that commonality of our human experience is not enough to help us serve one another, love one another, and forgive one another. We need the strength of Jesus to be able to serve one another, love one another, and forgive one another. And when we experience his strength, we need to give that away. So awareness, acknowledgement, accountability, and finally, we take action. We take action. You know, we all know this expression that words without action is dead, right? Words without deeds are dead. And action looks different for maybe all of us in this gathering at this moment. I'll tell you what it does mean. It means more than putting a black slide up on your Instagram feed or your Twitter feed. And there was nothing wrong with doing that. But as a follower of Jesus, and I'll just talk to Christians right now, those who are followers of Jesus, uh, 
it means that we are actively pursuing justice and righteousness personally and in our city. We are actively pursuing justice and righteousness. And that may look different for each of us. For some of it, some of us, it means that you're grieving right now. What's going on is just giving voice to a lot of pain you've experienced in the past. And we'll get into this maybe on Wednesday night if we have time. Grief has a bit of a cycle. Maybe you're angry. That's okay. Maybe it's just a little overwhelming. We need to be there for you as a community. For others of us, maybe we're in a moment where action looks like asking forgiveness and lamenting. Feeling the weight of this moment, not trying to escape it. For all of us, I hope action means we're going to look up. Let's pray to Jesus. Let's make sure that we keep him front and center in our hearts so we can keep clean inside of us as we go to do a work in this world. And for hopefully all of us, it means we'll speak up. Whenever and wherever we see injustice in this world, we'll speak up. Justice costs. It cost Jesus his life to bring about a justice for you and me. And justice does cost. And don't, don't minimize that, friends. It will cost you. It always costs. You see, there's a strong man, and he, he wants, evil wants to maintain the status quo. They have, the strong man has much to lose. And in your own strength, you cannot overcome the strong man. You need a stronger one, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the stronger man. So friends, speak up. And that may look like protest. Now, some of you might be saying, okay, Jonathan, you're a pastor. What are you talking about protests about? Well, I don't know if we talk much about this as a community, but you know who we are as a church, One Church T.O. We're a Protestant church. At our roots is protest. The church had, in days gone by, uh, being began to act unrighteous and unjust towards people, and there's a remnant of the church that rose up and protested. And it gave birth to churches like One Church T.O. Protest is in our DNA. It's what we do. But here's, here's my admonition as your pastor. And uh, whether you're taking to the streets to let your voice be known, remember when it comes to protest, never protest in a way that will make you less righteous or less like Jesus. We love righteousness and we love justice. Stay in step with Jesus. He is the defender of the oppressed. So let's protest in a way that leads to righteousness and justice. We're glad you joined us for today's teaching. If you're listening in right now because your church isn't able to meet, we welcome you and we ask that you keep supporting your church community with all the engagement and giving options that they have. If you need any assistance in this unprecedented season, please let us know by email at care at onechurch.to or by texting the word CARE to 416-291-9575 or even just giving us a call at the same number. All other events and programming can be found at onechurch.to slash connect.